film sucks Indie film sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Yeah Streets of St. Louis from a basement on South Broadway, the Indie Film Sucks Podcast. Indie film still <laughs> continues to suck. Always has, always will. But tonight we have with us uh, another special guest, director Josh Guffey. Woo! Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for, for being here, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Don't get too far, Josh. We've got to ask you the famous question now. What's your suck? Well, you know... Uh, obviously, when you guys asked me that, I had a, a bunch that came to mind. I mean, what one of the first things that came to mind was on the set of All Gone Wrong, the feature film I made. We had an actor show up. It was a small part, and he had been emailing us for weeks. He had heard about the production, and, you know, um, Joni Tackett, our casting director, and I, we had been getting these direct emails from him forever. And so finally, we are like, okay, well, what if we just cast him in this small thing he would work out and he shows up and and his part would require some blank gunfire all right and he shows up and uh he's got he's got a bottle of yellowtail that he's just taking pulls from <laughs> oh, shit. and and we were like okay and you know our movie was shot in 19 days and there's a lot of action there's full of blanks there's you know um we, we had very little time and um, we had an armor on set, which was good. At the end of the day, you don't have a whole lot of time for bullshit like that, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so uh, the the decision was made very quickly. I mean, you know, Michael Kennedy, our producer, Frank Merle, one of our producers, um, they came to me and like, hey, this is a situation. Really, it came to us from our armor. Our armor was like, dude, that's he's not touching any of the weapons. We're like, okay, well, we have to recast on the spot. And it was a day where it's this whole house shootout sequence. So it's a, it's just a, it just goes bad. And it's, and, and we're shooting, we already have to shoot this entire sequence in one day. And I was like, okay, well, obviously we have to fire this guy, but who is going to play the part? And luckily, so Eric Petway was our, our armorer and his wife is, it's sort of a husband and wife team. And his wife, she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, if you ask Eric, he'll do it. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like, really? She's like, he would absolutely love it. And I was like, oh my God, like, think of how much faster we'll be able to go when yeah. the armorer is holding the weapon. So we just cut out like two steps in the process. We don't have to like take it away from the actor, clear it. You know, he's just doing the whole thing. I ask him, he lights up. He's like, yeah, I got it. And then we let him like name his character and all that <laughs> stuff. That's nice. cool. Yeah. That taught me a lot. That's basically like, it's the team you rely on, the advice of everybody and... It was a sucky thing that basically revealed how strong our team was. So That's that was pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people can relate to that. At least not <laughs> from the drinking standpoint, but having to make that decision on the fly for the betterment of the movie. Yeah, just couldn't have done it. We could. Re yeah, we know the drinking aspect. Yeah, of we, we do. Times. <laughs> I, I, I've had to do the exact yeah. same thing. Uh, yeah. Actors drunk, like okay, got to fire this person. Have to cast on the fly. Yeah, we had to do that on our last film. We had to cast same day because we had an actor who could not fulfill the role. Luckily, we had a deep bench of people, so called up someone and said, "Hey, uh, this was someone who was cast in a different role. Yeah, how would you like to take a larger role in the film?" <laughs> well, of course, every actor's going to say, yeah, "Yeah," and they did. Okay, can you get down to the set today? Yeah, like as soon as possible. Yeah, and you know this. I mean, it's not like it's not like theater where. This person, this role has an understudy, and you've been no, rehearsing right. for weeks. It's right. like no, this is, 
you know, this is catch as catch can, you know. Luckily, this this person didn't have any speaking parts, but they had to look credible on yeah. camera. So, you know, in our situation, it worked out really, really well, but on, on uh, real. That's uh, independent film, right? Yeah. So 19 days to yeah. shoot, but, so let's, we'll go there. We'll get there in a second, but... Yeah. From what I read, and I guess you had a nice piece in uh, St. Louis Magazine recently, January. Right. 15 years you've been working on this thing? Is that accurate? Well, was yeah, that... That's, that leads me to another suck. It's okay. basically, you know, <laughs> one thing that I set out to do was I wanted to, you know, you get all this competing sets of advice. And, and the one I chose to really stick to, which is make the movie you want to see. And so there's so many people that are like, oh, just go make something. Go do, like, the $7,000 feature. Do, like, the the one-man band thing, like, shoot a whole movie in a room, like, strip it down. And, like, I am fine with people doing that. Like, that's a great approach. I was just like, I'm not going to... I'm going to spend time working on that because there's, like, this this feeling that's sold to you as an independent filmmaker that, like, you'll make a small movie and then your next one's going to be a little bit bigger mm -hmm. and the next one's going to be a little bit bigger. And this it's like this, this escalator. And so they're like, oh, start at the bottom and maybe it'll get in a festival and stuff like that. But I'm actually kind of not interested in that kind of thing, particularly making that kind of thing. I wanted to make something that was like a muscular crime drama, you know, in the style of Michael Mann or Melville or, you know, these guys that I watched all the time. Where do you get information about how to mount a independent production that is, you know, potentially six figures, has movie stars if you can get them like at that time there wasn't a lot of information about it because it didn't really pay anybody it didn't it, it didn't make any financial sense for somebody to tell you how it's done because they want to get their money in like for that information but then i think as the years went on social media makes people try to build a following and the only way you do that is if you have something of value to share and so all of this information starts to really explode and come out as social media really explodes and so well, it's just funny that you say that there's not, there's still not, you have to go search the information. Right. If you want to go do it the old way, yeah. the way the distributors want you to do it and the way the old school way or the way, Chris, you were told to do it when mm -hmm. you first started out. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of information about that. Yeah. And there's still a lot of guys doing it that way. And yeah. one of the reasons for this podcast is to try to say, you know, guys, there is other information. You right. knew it. You yeah. figured it out. How, yeah. did, how did you figure it out, though? Why? How did you fight the urge or fight all those people off? You do have to trust your gut. You have to sort of take a step back and say, what what am I responding to here? And and have like sort of an emotional core that you're trying to hold on to with your film. But then from a production standpoint, you know, things like Studio Binder and Indie Film Hustle and all these kinds of places, like there's there's countless now. I didn't know what a day out of days was. Right. Like, you know, and now you can literally be inundated with stuff about how to create a day out of days. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Google it and you'll get a lot of information. And that was just not around. Like you just couldn't find that stuff unless you had an experienced producer or experienced AD or all these people that you would have to really pay for the privilege of. You know, and so that took a long time. And then also, you know, you're trying to make a living. You're trying to raise a family and all this kind of stuff. And when you're making a movie of that size, of, of the size that we made it, you know, it was low six figures. It was um, a SAG ultra low budget. You need an LLC. You need a bank account. You need all these kinds of things. And so you're like, okay, I've got no money personally. Like, i got to raise all this money. And, and now, okay, this size of production is going to require our film to be a registered security as a as something that in high net worth individuals can invest in. And you just have to all of a sudden become an expert in things that you just had no idea were even a part of the process. And you just think, oh, if I write a good script, 
it'll just all happen for you. And now, obviously, it's a naive thing. And I, I doubt there's very many people who listen to this podcast that think that. But when everybody starts out, they kind of think that. You yeah. Because what you're talking about is the business side of things. Yeah. And almost everybody gets into it for the show part. Yeah. Right? The art part. The, the part of making and creating. Yeah. But that's how you end up broke with the film that goes nowhere right if, if you don't focus on the business aspect of it which i mean i didn't either when i started out yeah you know i and I, I will say this i saw your film at the showcase and i went into it expecting a typical st louis film yeah which means it's got some nice cinematography maybe some decent acting nowhere story because i've seen and i'm not bashing on anyone i've just seen a lot of local films yeah. where everyone just focuses on the cinematography and everything else is secondary and you remember because i called you up i said dude yeah. i was blown away yeah. by that movie oh, that is cool. probably the best local movie that wow. i have seen and i'm i'm not pulling your leg wow. i was i Thank was you. completely completely taken by your film and honestly i, I was really drawn into the story Cool. I'm like, this guy really took his time, did everything yeah. right, and it showed on the screen. Yeah, I couldn't believe Greg and I was speaking as well. He said the same thing he just said to you. Yeah. Like, okay, well, let's 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 get to know this guy. Cool. He's making shit happen, so I'm glad you're here. There are so many years where you where you write this script and you're like, okay, I know what I want it to feel like, but my abilities certainly weren't there. So I was I wrote draft after draft after draft and you know, one benefit and I think this is sort of like the silver lining of all of it, of a movie taking that long to make, is you can spend time on the script, and yeah. that's the cheapest part. And that's yes. and and to me, like that's that's the part. And it's funny you mentioned the cinematography because I see this a lot. And I, you know, working in commercial video too, like there's such a a straight path to figuring out how to create an image. These are techniques, and 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 you can create an image, and you can look at reference, and there's all sorts of stuff. Writing is like it's literally like climbing a mountain blindfolded and you don't even know how high the mountain is you don't even know like what your supplies are like you have no you have no idea and so i think the reason why the cinematography can be so good on bad movies is because it's tangible it's something that a lot of people can create a craft with whereas writing is oh man like consider it the third suck of this podcast like you know it, and I have a love-hate relationship with writing, but it is the end-all, be-all. And so when we were making All Gone Wrong, I basically was like, okay, I have a script I believe in, and I can explain it to people. And that and that's also something that really helps you, me as a first-time filmmaker, is you're going to have, like, everyone on set is more experienced at, at making films than you. Like, just flat out. Like, everyone's been on more feature films than you. Like, especially when you, like, when I was working with Tony, I was, I was kind of freaked out at first because I was like, here's a guy who's been working for decades. Tony Todd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's got, you know, maybe he has an expectation about what a actor-director relationship would be like. But at the end of the day, I gathered a little bit of confidence in that I'm the expert on this script. And so he can have ideas and we can talk about it, but I have to decide whether an idea he brings to me is right for the whole or not. And so I took strength in that. Like, okay, my familiarity with the story and the script is is helping me gain that confidence while I was working with some of these more experienced people. And so it was really the performances and the story. It's like the performances and the editing basically is where I, we tried to hang our hat. Because we had to shoot so fast. I mean... Mm -hmm. 19 days is nothing. Yeah. And, and, and when you have, like, you know, we had Tony for four days. We okay. had 
all the big action scenes were shot in a day or two days, and so Whoa. and they're all full load blanks. The house shootout was one day. The whole climax of the movie at the steelworks in Granite City, the, that was two days. There's another action scene that was just one day of shooting. You're doing three takes and you're moving on. And, and if you don't have experienced actors who can just deliver the performance on take one, you're toast. That comes I mean, out of a crew too. Yeah, Just yeah. ready to pick yeah, up yeah. and move and go and understand when they get there how to set up quick. And Yeah. yeah. Trust me, I know that pain. I mean, we have we did the same thing. Uh, full load blanks, shootout scenes, yeah. one or two days to get it all. Yeah. And I remember maybe the second day, someone's obviously smoking weed. And I mean, you could, it smells like a dispensary. Yeah. And so, and we're, we're dealing with blanks. We're dealing with, yeah. you know, blank gunfire, dangerous stuff. Yeah. If, if you don't take precaution. And this was right after Rust. I think your film took place before it the did. Rust it did, incident. But, you know, and I'll let you finish your story. But like, you know, I actually talked with Tony because the movie premiered at the 2021 St. Louis International Film Festival. And he right. came back for that premiere. And I interviewed him for like a little bit of a kind of an EPK thing. And we talked a lot about the Rust incident because it had happened kind of in close proximity to that. And he reminded me that he was in The Crow with Brandon Lee and he mm. was there oh, on he set was there when, when he it died? happened. Yeah, he was there oh, when no. it happened. Son of a bitch. And so I asked him, I was like, now in hindsight, like, did you ever feel like we were writing a line or anything like that? And he's like, no, I mean, he's like, there's just, you know, we, we worked really methodically. I mean, one of the guns jammed at one point and then we just had to stop until our armor could figure it out. And like, you know, there was never like any sort of extended takes or like, you know, any improvisation with actors. It's like, no, like, yeah. Right. When this is right, we'll move forward. Yeah. 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 So I had to make an announcement to the crew. I'm like, look, I don't care what you do in your free time, but before we shoot and when we shoot, I need you to be 100% sober. Yeah. After we wrap for the day, you can do whatever you want to do. You can go shoot heroin between your toes. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Yeah. But before and during, you got to be clean. Yeah. And and that that solved the problem. And we had extra, actually added extra armors and extra safety precautions yeah. just yeah. to make sure we had everything covered yeah. on that sense. Because that's one thing you don't mess, especially in your film. Oh, my right. gosh, the amount of blanks you were firing off. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, like, you, you figure out, okay, if a camera's operated... A gun can't be pointed at the lens, so what do you do? Like, okay, this this shot's going to be on sticks. This shot's going to be, you know, we're going to clock the actor 20 degrees. And, and you just think about all these things. And, and, and luckily, I took all those years of preparation where you just lie awake in bed at night thinking, is this ever going to happen? You bored it out in your mind like a million times. And so I, I had a pretty meticulous shot list. Actually, our editor, Brett Hoy, he, he loved to look at it. I gave I just gave him the whole binder I had during production while he was starting to build the rough cut and it was like this big and it was like everything boarded down to the inch of its life and then I had you know reference frames from other movies if it was just like okay this is this it's because I knew we wouldn't have much time you know and it, it would be and then also our DP Levi Kirby he had the, he has this great rule of thumb and he and he got it from when he was first starting out and then all the way through all of his commercial stuff that he shoots now you know with like you know, he shoots a lot of video for um, for the soccer team for oh. City SC. Is you know, if he goes into a, a a shoot and he has not a lot of time, he's like, he instantly tries to do the math in his head. He's like, what are the three shots I have to get to be able to cut something here? And that's kind of what we did because if we were running behind, it was like, okay, this scene had ten shots. Now, what are the three we have to get? Or you know, can we get this in one? Because the actors really showed us they were like Tony's. Uh, done so much theater 
our lead actor Jake has done theater. Like these these guys are just so on book. Peter Mayer, but they're all theater guys. So they would come and they would just have it. I probably could have done an alternate cut where I just used take one of every scene and it would be pretty close. When you're directing and then when you go back and watch the dailies, you're like, well, take one was pretty good. I don't know what I was really nitpicking. Oh, I, I wanted that line to be somewhat different. Yeah. But then you go back to take one, you're like, Shit, they that was like 95% <laughs> of the way there. I just keyed in on the wrong thing. They got it. Hey, going back to uh, Tony Todd and other really good actors, and I've actually seen Peter Mayer on stage a number of times in yeah. St. Louis, and he's he's fantastic. Yeah. And I've never seen him not be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but as far as having a name like Tony Todd come to your set, and you said earlier you, you felt like he, yeah. you, know, you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. Well, uh it sounded like he really put you at ease fairly quickly. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So he he knows he knows what he, what his his instrument is. It kind of freaked me out a little bit at first because the first time I talked with him. So so long story short, a friend of a friend at the time uh, was Frank Merle, uh, who ended up producing the film, and now he's he's a good friend, and he had done a movie with Tony, and he was living in L.A. I was asking him, just asking about Tony, because I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you know just you know, when you're developing a movie and you don't have any money, what's my dream list here? And I just happened to see that he had done a movie with Tony, and so I reached out to Frank, and then, you know, long story short, Frank became a producer, and then he got it to Tony, and Tony said yes pretty quickly. And then I was like, okay, now we need to get the money. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go let's go raise some, and that was easy. some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, easier than you thought. But, uh, but when we were getting close to shooting, he would call me, and, and I, I really like this. He, he would have all these ideas, and he would really come at me with a lot of ideas, like, oh, this is who the, you know, this is what I'm thinking. This is, you know, I like, I like the way this conversation goes because it shows this part of him. And he's, he, he is, he's always thinking, and he's always working. So, like, when he would have time, he would call me, and I might be driving home from work or something, and all of a sudden it's, it's the candy man, and I'm just yeah. like, all right, I gotta take lock this. in, you know? <laughs> and, and one time, and, and, and you know, he, he kind of doesn't remember it this way, but I kind of do. He would kind of call as the character, as Hughes, and, <laughs> and one time he called and he was like, you know, I think I need a pet. You know, I've told this story before, but yeah. he told me, I, I really think I need to care for something more than the people and the world around me you know and to show that he is that sociopath and so that was a mad dash to try to locate a pet you know it was a frilled dragon and then actually tony told me later that the guy who owned the dragon had gone to like conventions and like no met shit. tony again it was like hey i was the guy with the dragon you know and he was like oh cool so <laughs> so they've they've kind of seen each other at a couple of conventions since then but hey so were you always going to do sag was that always part of the plan yeah because if i'm going to try and make a movie of this size i want to have the experience i want to go through the struggle of working with sag and okay so talk and what, stuff like that yeah was that a suck because uh, nothing against sag we're sag yeah. we were sag on, yeah. our, on our shoot as well but what did you what did you find that process I, it, it is difficult. Yes. Michael Kennedy took on a lot of the burden of that, but I will say they were strict, and I totally understand where they were coming from. One big thing that happened that really could have sunk the movie is we had a bunch of investors pull out right before shooting, but we had enough money from the Kickstarter, from some of my personal savings, and from one investor that stayed to shoot our days with Tony. So we shot four days with him and then an extra day. Because that's all you have to disclose. I mean, yeah. a lot of it, right? Yeah. There's and, some, and some ways you can play around that. Exactly. Yep. I mean, it was mm. it was a pay-for-play thing. You know, if we miss our days with Tony, 
we miss we, we got to pay him and, yep. and we don't have a movie so yeah so explain that for a second yeah so basically when when we entered our contract with tony it's for you know a set amount and you know it's a negotiation with with his reps and things like that but essentially what you're doing is you're paying them to hold that spot on the calendar because he's a busy guy and, like, yeah. and i think this is generally how it works it is now yeah mm-hmm. and so it's like okay these four days are yours if they're if you have to wiggle them it might be okay but but we're not contractually obligated to accommodate your movie if it moves. So once, I mean, it was literally two weeks out, and like well, most of our money just went away. Yeah, we how, like, how did that make you feel? Oh because... man, the first two days of shooting is the big climax at the Steelworks. The very first two days of shooting, and it's like most of the cast. It's a big, big blocking challenge. It's a tough location. It's pouring rain that first day. I know that that's how it's going to be, and I'm already nervous about that. And now I have to take my mind off that to try to save the movie and shoot those days with Tony. And so, you know, it was a surprise to Tony during his time. He was like, well, what do you mean you're not going to finish the shoot? We also had deal memos with other SAG actors. And now that we weren't going into production with the rest of the SAG cast, their reps were like, fuck you, pay me, you know? Yeah. And that's, they have less pull than him, but they had similar deals. And, and, yep. and, and SAG is well aware of everything that we're doing because that's how it has to be. I can't remember the term, but you have to give them basically a round dollar amount ahead of production yep. to sort of cover a lot of these. Like of, the, it's the prepayment yeah. or the, uh, yeah, yeah, the escrow or the... And here's something that yeah. a lot yeah, of filmmakers... Yeah, we had to do the same thing. Yeah, yep. yeah. Here's something a lot of filmmakers don't understand, but like a pay-for-play deal, Yeah. that money's gone. That's spent. Yeah. If you don't make those days... Yeah then you're just out of luck. Exactly. So it's sort of a chicken and the egg. You know, a lot of people talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, do you get the the actor, the letter of right. intent or the money? And, and, and I think at the end of the day, it's it's all just like a confidence game. But you have to do it that way. And so long story short, so SAG really came at us and they were like, you have to pay these people now. And And so what we did was we basically went straight to the actors and the reps and we said, this isn't a recasting situation. We had a, we had an unexpected amount of investors drop out. We we're going to spend the summer to raise the rest of the money for production and then shoot. And they said, that's totally cool, but you have to give us a date, a drop-dead date. And so we did. We basically said the end of August. And we ended up shooting, going back into production at the very end of August. Yeah, yeah I thought that was... Interesting, because I felt once I got away from SAG and the paperwork and all that, and I yeah. started working just with the agents and the actors themselves and the talent, yeah. it, it became more of a like going, okay, these people are really pretty cool. Yeah. They get the whole process. Yeah. Now they're not going to bend over backwards 100% for you, yeah. but they get it. And they they knew they were signing on to an uh, independent film. Exactly. They still wanted to get paid. Just rebook them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so, it, and then it all allowed us to get local SAG actors like Antonio St. James to kind of come into the fold. And then, you know, without it, we would have had a movie, but we have the movie we have because of that. And it's worth the experience. We, yeah. I felt it was worth the experience of learning how to do it. Yeah. So on the next one, yeah. I'm just that much smarter and I don't have to put that much time or effort into it. I get it now. Exactly. And I can talk some of these people's language a little bit more. Yeah. Because I felt I was going, man, I don't, you, you tell me what it. I yeah. need to know. A common and, language with all the collaborators is so important. <laughs> like, and I, I, I remember having conversations with our composer and I was like, dude, I'm tone deaf. I have no idea. <laughs> And so it's like, how do we develop a common vocabulary so I can talk to you about this? How, how can I even fucking give you notes on the demos? 
when I don't have a musical language to talk to you about. So like from business side, same deal. It was like over the years you sort of developed this and it was great, you know? And, and then also, um, you know, one huge thing that we had that I know is not possible for most people is one of my good friends from high school is a partner at a national law firm. And he basically came to me one day, this is early, this is maybe, I had written the first draft of the script. This is a few years after that. It was probably in like the, you know, 2008, 9, 10 range. And he was like, hey, we're, we're bringing on pro bono clients. Like, do you want to bring on your LLC as a pro bono client? Sweet. Oh, Sweet. Sweet. And Yo, I was how like, awesome I was like, is hell that? yeah. <laughs> and so as I rewrote the script, I would like email him. I would say, hey, I just wrote in the FBI. Like, what's the legality of putting the FBI into a movie? And he goes, I'll put the summer interns on it. And so I would get these emails from the summer interns. And they're like, <laughs> hey, this is what we found in... in uh, and actually, like, years later... When Cheers we finally, to Guffy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, like, super formal. It's, like... And years later, we... I got an email from one of them who's now, like, you know, a lawyer and successful. And and uh, and they're, like, hey, I, I was one of these people doing research for you. Like, this is so cool. It's coming out. And, yeah. Was so, he rubbing it in going, I made it through law school. And now I'm a successful <laughs> lawyer. Where's your movie at? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, because yeah. that's the he thing... He wasn't doing that to you? <laughs> yeah, no. That's the thing we don't really think about. I guess maybe maybe we do about as filmmakers how people who are not filmmakers view this as something that's really exciting and really cool. Yeah, and I mean it is, but yeah, they don't really see the sort of Jenga house of cards how you jigsaw puzzle this shit together. Did you expect? <laughs> that? Well, it's I know nothing about the restaurant business, but like I imagine it would be like somebody going to a nice restaurant and being like, "Wow, this is really great. I love this meal." Like. I wonder what it would be like to to run a, to open a restaurant like this and run a restaurant like this because it's like there's actually people out there still and there's not a lot of them because there's just more BTS stuff available and all that stuff but like they kind of still think that like the time it takes to shoot a movie is they shoot it in sequence and it yeah. takes, oh, and yeah, they, yeah. is the amount of time it takes to watch the movie mm -hmm. I've actually kind of like been reminded of this recently they just don't know the bullshit you have to go through because like just one mistake for instance the copyright stuff like one mistake on a filing and all of a sudden your movie is copyright free it's not to catch a thief but it's like one of those late Cary Grant movies that's that's public domain now because somebody yeah. fucked up the copyright filing there's just pit pitfalls every step of the way and if you're doing it for the first time like I was you just have no idea right you know and there's not a ton of people in St. Louis that have done it yeah. in order to say oh that's easy just send me the paperwork over I'll help you with this yeah right yeah yeah so we looked up for filmmakers like <laughs> yeah. yourself they go oh you stupid well because it's like <laughs> if somebody has experience with it They've got fucking PTSD from it, so yes. like, why would they want to just like jump in and do it with you? For no, free they don't. Again? That's yeah, the they're point. Like, they're like, fuck off, man. Like, yeah, yeah. figure it out. Google I did. it. Yeah, but so I mean, but at, at the end of the day, like I said, there's more online resources out there, and there's just as many ways to make a movie as there are movies, and you just have no idea what the eventual path for your movie is going to be until it happens. I did a thirty thousand dollar Kickstarter, and then had you know, a little bit of savings, and then one investor, and then, like I said, we, we raised five days of shooting, then another 14 days, and then we had to go back and do another investor event where we cut a trailer and raise money for post, and mm. it's just... It's, the grind, man. Yeah. Yeah, but it's crazy, even when you're looking at your budget, though, it, when you're SAG, 
the more levels you get up, yeah. ultra low budget, then you go to this, yeah. the rules get tighter. Yeah. And it costs a little bit more for actors and it costs a little yeah. bit more. So were you weighing that at all when you were looking at your decisions on where to kind of fit your movie into? The advice I got, and especially, you know, you, you, you kind of turn towards your investors too because they're they're sort of part of your team now especially if they want to be involved you know and i and that was was the cool thing was we got a lot of investors that were local this is what we're trying to do this is the size of the movie we're trying to make and everyone just kind of believed in it and was on board with it so it's just you're totally right you know i i had no experience making anything with sag or any of these budget levels we're in the low bracket we have somebody that people have heard of or at least has you know, like if, if they see him recognizable, and so we we were trying to tick some boxes. No, from man, what I read know. in your article, you you sound like you settled in because you relied even for locations. Yeah, you relied a lot oh, on right. Fuck. You didn't pay for a lot there. No, we didn't right. pay for any look. I mean, we paid for one location, and and ultimately it was like a donation to the guy's wife's like dog charity or something for like three hundred bucks. <laughs> it was like nothing. The performances and the story have to win the day because, and so then. You know, we were gonna rent a cinema camera. We were gonna figure out how to make this look as great as we could. But then at the end of the day, we were like Levi Kirby, the DP, and I. We both were staff. Um, I was a staff producer. He was a staff DP at Vidzu Media at the time. And we were like, we have all this equipment. If we just take two weeks off of work or whatever it takes, and we'll use all the stuff we have. There's Sony DSLRs, but they shoot 4K UHD. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And so we were like, let a samurai use his sword. Our DP could set up the cameras in the morning. We don't need extra personnel to now, to now help set up these cinema cameras. So now your crew is smaller. Now you have you can work faster. And then what it ended up doing is when we got crew on board, camera was up. I mean, I could see what we were working with right away. The grip and lighting team could come to me and say, hey, we see this opportunity, set this up. And, and, and I would know through our AD and kind of working on the schedule and kind of knowing what I had planned, I was like, if you can do that in 20 minutes or give me a th- something like that in 20 minutes, go for it. I love the idea. You know, and you just give people parameters and like people just, they run, man. Well, speaking of your crew, did you get most of them locally? Yeah. And cast as, everybody cast as local? Yeah. Besides the LA actors, of course. Yeah, because I mean, so when I was in LA, I did shoot a full budget proof of concept. You know, cost a little bit of money and I scraped that together with friends and family money. And then also I had gotten a car accident that had a delayed payout so the insurance company gave me like five grand like two years after the accident so i was like i'm just (laughs) gonna pump that right into this you're probably not the first filmmaker to do that yeah (laughs) and so we did that full budget and the dp on that was matt valentine who i was close with him um because we worked on real housewives of beverly hills together we were on the a crew for that and he was the dp of the show and i got really close to him and so he shot that and it looks great for all the years after that it was like matt's gonna dp this movie and then, you know, I moved to St. Louis with my wife and my son, and he's gone on to camera operate on amazing shows. Like, you just look at his IMDb, it's just crazy. What's his name? Matt Valentine. Matt. Our paths kind of deviated because of that. Just life happens. And so then when it came time to shoot in St. Louis, it was like, well, what resources do we have? And and I knew, having worked here, because we shot in 2019 when I moved here in 2015. So I was like, okay, I know we can build a crew. And when I met Michael Kennedy, he was a producer that moved here from New York, and I had worked with him a little bit on a freelance basis at Vidzu. I was like, this is my guy to help make this movie. And so he really helped find crew, and then there's there's other people in town that really just kind of helped us source people, and 
when you kind of know what you want. And then and then we got some gifts. I mean, a family friend is the detective at St. Charles Police Department, so oh, he just sweet. hooked us up. I mean, we just shot all the police scenes in the detective bureau. They were just working, and we just got a couple of empty cubicles. And so you had all that background, too? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> and then all the interview rooms that were, you know, they bring the informants in on, like, that's the real CCTV that's there, really those cool. real interview rooms. Like, when you shut that door, those actors can't get out, you know? Like, that's what the whole place is like. You know, there's the lineup there. Yeah, you couldn't build a the set elevator. like that. Yeah, exactly. And so that was our rule. It was like, we have to have locations that are dressed, that are, that are mm. ready to shoot yeah. in. And so everything we shot at was just, I mean, I think we dressed maybe one or two. No, I, say, I think that's smart for other yeah. independent filmmakers to understand that yeah. that was built into your plan yeah. to say, this is how we can do it 19 days on the budget we have. Yeah. Still be SAG, still bring in Tony, yeah. still pay these people and, yeah. and, and make what your vision was. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, all that stuff really matters. I'm not going to say it doesn't. When I had to boil it down, I was like, what are the elements of this movie that are just going to be the most memorable? It's the actors. It's the performances. Like, you can have, like, the best-looking movie and, like, wooden performances, and, like, it's unwatchable. In that first round of shooting, we were supposed to shoot the house shootout. And so I didn't have a location yet, and the city wasn't going to let us do it unless I had a location to permit. One weekend, it was, like, maybe the weekend or two before we started shooting with Tony, I was still driving around St. Charles, and I'm <laughs> trying familiar. to find a house that looks run down that we're going to say, hey, this is our drug house. And so what am I supposed to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, your house the front is a piece doors? of shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, you're, you, you know, this looks like a crack house. Like, I would like to shoot a movie here. I was about to give up. I was literally driving around St. Charles for eight hours. And then I was giving up. I just called my wife. I was like, hey, I'm headed home. And I see this couple coming out of this duplex with some trash bags and stuff. And, and I had actually gone around the block to see it again because I was like, wow, this place looks like a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> and it had like, it, it, like the front door had the had the plywood covering it up because co cops had kicked it in and then like had like the eviction sticker on it and stuff. And I pull up and the guy immediately starts to kind of like step Square a little up, bit. Because yeah. he thought <laughs> I was the previous tenant coming to get my stuff. And I just I was like, hey, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. And it just so happens there were a couple that had just bought the duplex to turn it into an Airbnb, and they were, like, cleaning it out. And I and I was like, hey, do you mind if you show me around a little bit? I mean, it was just awful. I mean, actually, and I still have this. On the coffee table was just the disc of Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> like, upside down, so the shiny side was up. And it was just like, it was as if, like, somebody just had, like, left, and then, like, all their shit was still there. It was just trashed so you're thinking don't touch it yeah this is exactly what happened you're i was thinking, like this is work this is terrible it's perfect yeah. yeah and so i mean there was like holes in the wall and stuff and i was and the kitchen was almost like you couldn't walk through it it was it was kind of piled up and i mean it was like bugs were everywhere i was like okay if you're cool with this i know you have this like dream to turn this into airbnb but if you can give me three months because at that time, I was like, oh, we might, we may or may not shoot oh, this because of the money. Yeah, I was like, if you, can, if you can hold the work for three months, we can make this happen. And then not only did they say yes, but they became investors in the movie because they oh, were like, hey, let's go for the ride, you know? And then and what was great is I had these connections with the St. Charles City at that point because of shooting at the police station that, like, I told them to not mow the grass and it was getting, like, <laughs> crazy high, like, feet, feet tall. And they, they got... 
they got like a ticket from the city, and I was like, I can make this go away. <laughs> oh god, look, like you're the big guy now. Look yeah, at you. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's about as far as my power yeah. went. But yeah. sometimes the movie gods shine upon us. No, I'm telling yeah. you. Sometimes. It's, yeah. No, it's because you're hard working. You're always looking, and you're not afraid to get out of the car and ask. Well, yeah, exactly. You 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 just get zero of what you don't ask for. You know, right. and you always just come with respect and just be straight. No one wants to be sold. They just want to hear what mm-hmm. you have to say. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So during that whole time, that all let's just say fifteen years, because that's kind of what the article said. You know, from from right to now in distribution. Yeah. Were you working on it the whole time and thinking about it, or were there periods of time where you just were like, hey, "I got to set this aside for a little bit"? Like you had a family. Oh yeah. I mean, there were stretches, and like I have to give a big shout out to Jake Kaufman, who's the lead in the movie, because he read the first draft. I mean, I wrote the first draft in Chicago when we lived in Chicago together, and then we drove out to L.A. together and in 09 we shot this like full-blooded concept in like 2011 2012 something like that i mean he read everything and yeah i mean there were times where you know you start working i mean i worked in reality tv a lot when i was in la so you're on like a show for months or something and it's kind of like you know but the the way i always looked at it was if you if you if in your mind you're like this is always something i'm going to make and if you just tell yourself this is not dead this is not something i'm walking away from it's just not going to happen right now that means a lot, you know, like you just have to sort of believe that it's going to happen. And it doesn't, it's not like a, it's not like some bullshit, like the secret or something. It's just, <laughs> you, it, it will never happen if you don't just keep it alive, you know? So and what year did it snowball then? So, so I moved here in 2015 and then I got a job at Vidzu at 2016 and right away they were like, hey, we've gotten a mandate that if we believe in something, we can try to make something. And I was like, well, just so happens I have this feature. And I didn't know where we would shoot it. It was just sort of like, hey, maybe I could shoot in St. Louis. Because it was set in Kewanee, Illinois. And I was like, we can make yeah, this place look like Kewanee, mm-hmm. Illinois. That's where it started to, like, uh, I was like, okay, I know I can make it here. But then it wasn't until, like, 2018 that I got the advice. Someone said, set a shoot date and then... Because there's so many conversations that are like, okay, when is this happening? And mm-hmm. if you don't have a date, they're like, okay, well, just call me when something's actually happening. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. I always picture it like Raiders of the Lost Ark with the boulder chasing Indiana Jones. Yeah. Up until you start production, everything is fine. Yeah. But once you have that date set in stone, yeah, then you're rolling, you're moving, and if you stop for any reason... You're gonna get crushed by that boulder. Yeah. So, so I think you need that that impetus. You need that kind of fear. Yeah. Like if I I have I have put a line in the sand. I said we're gonna do this by this date. Yeah. Knowing that you're gonna look like a complete asshole if you don't. Yeah. And no, who wants to look like a complete asshole? Yeah. And that and that's the thing too is like you have to think like, like, especially as a crew member, you're like, am I getting on board someone's project? Like, are they a closer? Do they finish? What mm-hmm. they start. That's you know? a great. That's yeah, a big that's, deal. Yeah, that's a huge deal. And I, you know, I, I got to say, most people who heard about the project, I mean, like everyone I knew in LA were like, oh yeah, that's just this thing that Josh talks about every once in a while. Like that shit's never gonna happen, mm-hmm. you know. And like they all believed in me too. They're just like, dude, you've been working on this for fucking fifteen years, you yeah. know. And so at the end of the day, it was twenty eighteen, and I said, in in ten months, we're gonna start shooting. And so I think it was the summer, and I was like, in April, March or April, we're gonna start shooting. And so I, you know, I immediately tried to, like, roll some vacation days over and, like, sort of build, you know, what that shoot was going to look like. I started reaching out to 
people who I thought might invest on LinkedIn because I was pretty well versed in LinkedIn just <clears throat> working at a commercial production company and building relationships that way. And you just get a lot of direct answers. You just get a lot of straight yeses or straight noes because people do business on LinkedIn. So I was like, this is who I am. This is what I'm asking for. Do you want to get coffee? I can tell you more about it. Here's my deck. And I had a fucking awesome deck from just years of working on it. Mm. Wouldn't and, you say the worst uh, The worst answer is the maybe? Oh, yeah. But uh, like I, I say, hey, I, I'm talking to some other people. Like If you want to be a part of it, that's great. Like Just let me know. But we're going to shoot on this date and you can be a part of it or not. And and what's great is, so the way we had built it is we're SAG, like SAG ultra low. And so we were saying, okay, we can't, like the way I think the security worked according to the language from our lawyer was, so our shares were $10,000. And then, so that meant we couldn't have more than 25 shares. Yeah, or else. sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. familiar. Well, you go into a different bracket and you're, you become a different company. Exactly, yep. yeah. You can't do what you're trying to do. And so I was like, do you want to be part of the 25 or less or not? Like I'm talking to somebody, you know, and you try to create this scarcity. And we didn't confirm Tony until I think February that year. So like it was a pitch based on the strength of the story and yeah. the genre and stuff like that. Did, did you pitch, and you don't have the answers if you don't want to, did you pitch that you were going to have a named actor we call that's what we call it a named actor somebody yeah. somebody you're going to be familiar with yeah we we didn't sort of have any of these kind of like you know i've read about like short lists and like say if we if we guarantee we have one name from this list and one name from that we list, didn't name like, names yeah. we just put yeah it'll be somebody or I, we're I, not going to go forward because we knew that that was important for us is yeah. it seems like you did too yeah well, i mean and it was like okay well we have and actually we had a couple of other name people I was I had phone calls with them, but at the end of the day, it was like, dude, we can't actually afford to to do like multiple spots. You know, I mean, it's just at the end of the day, it would it would have it would have bumped us into a new bracket, mm -hmm. and also it was like, uh, it's another chunk of money. Yeah, yeah. the bank for your buck for yeah. where you're at, where what well, you're willing I'm, to pay. I'm curious. Well, talk about your pitch deck because some people that listen to this aren't necessarily in the the business. Yeah. What? How was your pitch deck set up for your investors? So I mean, for me. There's, there are certain multiple types of investors, and I wanted the deck to speak to all of them. There's some people that are like, they've got money, and they know, okay, if I invest in this movie, I should just I should just think, this is money I'm spending to have a good time producing a movie. And they don't think of the return. They want to know, like, what's the story? Mm -hmm. you know, And they, and they want to think of those, like, exciting parts. Sexy. Sure. Yeah. Sexy. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and they're not like... They don't want to have flashbulbs going off at the premiere. They they, they, they just want to, like, have fun with it. You yeah. know, it's like, hey, this is another thing I can do with my money. And then there's other people that are, they want to talk numbers ROI. Mm -hmm. they, they want to know what's what's the timeline, how is this paying out. And so we had to have the, those types of things. The thing that everyone who's made a deck before knows that the hardest thing is comps because there's just not a lot of good information out there. So you can say, I mean, like, the worst comps in the world what fucking Blair Witch? Blair Witch. Yeah, yeah, I knew, like, I knew you were gonna yeah. say that. <laughs> and so the movies that are made at this budget level, they break out sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. they don't. So like the data on, and then also the data that you get is box office data. That's for like a full blooded theatrical mm -hmm. release. And so we tried to shy away from talking about that because we wanted to be like, hey, these are the, these are the revenue streams. This is where the money comes from. Mm -hmm. This is where, and and you can get data online about what a filmmaker can kind of get as far as a cut goes generally you know enough to speak to it in the deck and so that's kind of what we did is said hey here's all the ways 
we can monetize this. And you have to speak of it as like a product. Like, mm. I invented this widget, and this is how I'm going to it take, is. take it, it is. to it's market. It's a commodity. Yeah. It's a commodity. You're building a house. Yeah. You helped me build a house. Exactly. And so that they and so those types of investors love it. And so that's why I approached a lot of the, the Cortex-type people in town. I didn't get a lot of interest, but, you know, you want to be able to talk to people who are, like, used to hearing startup pitches, and, mm-hmm. you know, or, like, people who are used to entering a riskier market, like, restaurateurs and stuff like that so like there's people with money who have familiarity with these types of like speculative things but then also you have to have you know the language to be you know on point with the contracts and stuff yeah, like it's, that. it's funny i talk to a lot of people who like how do you raise money you know how do you they're always wanting to know how do you get money for a movie or whatever and then obviously you're talking about people with money yeah well most of them don't even know one person with money yeah okay and that one person is probably not going to invest in filmmaking yeah you had to get to know uh, lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty damn tough. And right? filmmaking, as anyone will tell you, is the worst possible investment <laughs> you can make. It, yeah. it really, truly is. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of the money now is, it's sort of like the larger pool types of things. Like, from an independent standpoint, it's kind of the Wild West. Like, they happen how they happen. But, like, money coming into the industry is like, oh, this new and in, in this new, like, indie studio has gotten this round of funding from whatever and i think the reason why it's still attractive for that kind of like large investment to happen in studios is because there's just so there's so many sort of hidden tax benefits of like oh absolutely you know i mean it's hollywood accounting so they're like no matter how speculative and how risky it seems it seems like it's just kind of never ending so speaking of uh films and filmmakers let's uh take a step back so you made a feature film but you come from the commercial world. What uh, what made you decide to take that plunge and and actually make a feature film? Because that's that's the thing is as a filmmaker, it's like what do you do to like to eat, you know? And and to me, it wasn't like I didn't want to do something outside the industry. So, you know, I I worked on the production side of reality TV or like commercials. And then when I moved to St. Louis, I got the chance to sort of produce and direct commercials here and. Um, particularly at Vidzu, so at the time they did a lot of video for like large corporate events. So like we'd work with Fortune 500 companies and get to do commercial level stuff that would play at their events. And you get a lot of reps, and you know you get to iterate a lot. And I had to write all the, all of our own copy, and you know you're you know I, I was working on you know a dozen or more projects at a time, and you're in the edit bay, and then you're writing a script, and it, you just I, I loved it because without that experience. There's just no way I would have been able to make All Gone Wrong. And, and and I just actually thank my lucky stars that I didn't make it when I was younger, when I didn't have all those skills. Like Because there's all these misconceptions that I found to be just totally baseless. Like, just the idea of, like, the director as, like, this performance whisperer. Like, you know, I'll, I'll just there's there's so many fucking pretentious cinematic ideas out there that just, <laughs> that are so pervasive. And I think it's it's just, you know, at the end of the day, like, the nuts and bolts stuff pays so many dividends like you just have to be prepared you have to really kind of know what's at the core of things but don't like like you you don't have to be a give a speech you know it's like you just be available be be somebody that people can count on that you know you 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 will work with everyone until the job is done you're not gonna lose your head shit's gonna happen and and you just don't hear that you don't hear like the workman's idea of a director you hear about the 
fucking scarf wearing like eclectic <laughs> tattoo the jack off you know yeah and like that that is there for a reason like you know it, it is an art form but at the end of the day it's like you are you are a middle manager that has to have good taste that's pretty much what it is and that's, that's a pretty damn good description right yeah there. because like and like there's people above you, essentially. There's people with the money. There's producers who are going to tell you you can't get that shot. There's an AD who's going to rain in your parade and be like, dude, we got to move We're on. out of time, yeah. You know, you're a middle manager. But at the end of the day, it's it's so thrilling because you are with a large group of people and everybody's rowing in the same direction when it goes well. Hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you can be, if you can be really clear and small with what you're trying to do and, like, this is this is where I'm going with this. People will, their gears will start turning. Like this person is like, I, I just heard a great quote. Somebody, I think, um, Andrew Stanton from Pixar, he says, and it's more about characters in their movies, but he said, uh, he said, people like people who are trying. And like, if you're just always, if, if you're not trying to be full of ego and you're not trying to like, Oh no, this is how this is going to be. This is the vision. Like, no, it's like I'm I'm trying to tell this story. I'm really trying and I need your help. Like I'm not going to be able to do this. Like I I don't do the things you guys do at all. Like I need your help, you know? I can relate that. Uh, I think everybody here can relate that. Uh, I'm curious also on why all gone wrong. <laughs> so it's a it's a Robert Frost poem called okay. The Servant to Servants. And there's a there's a line in it that says, um, I don't know how I should feel or would feel if I wasn't all gone wrong. You know, I look back on the title, I think the title really works, but I think it's also part of one of the things that kept I kept over the years from a more pretentious version of the movie. Okay. It, it's a more literary title, and it's just a, the undercover cop thing. You just, you, your compass is all thrown out. All right, so you got through the production of the film. Yeah. You know, you realized a dream after so many years. What happened after that? There's actually a mini version of that. After we did our days with Tony on his last day of shooting, this is only day four of production, I like had to step out and I just like fucking broke down. And we're at like a bar, we're like shooting his office scene or whatever, and he, he was wrapped. We've, we've got a movie, you know? Like, you know, we'll always have this footage and, and, and I could see it was going to be really hard and it was going to take months to even just get it in the can, but I just knew it was going to happen and it was just like 15 years just like flying away out of my body that's cool so yeah and i i you know i'm outside just on the porch and of the back deck of this bar in st charles and and jake actually stepped outside and was sitting with me and i just like i just let it out but um yeah so we finished the movie and there's just months of trying to figure out who's going to put this out this is actually one thing that i'm really glad i did i i can't remember who i heard this from but as we talked to distributors, because like you know Frank had put out some films before and had success, and so we were talking to those distributors, and it whittles down, and you reach out to some sort of indie distributors who will take a submission if they kind of know like details of your project. But one idea or that I heard that that worked out really great is is to you know go on IMDb Pro, find some filmmakers who have worked with that distributor in the last few mm-hmm. years, very smart, who have put out yeah. a movie. And just say, hey, this is who I am. This is my movie. I'm talking with them to distribute it. Like, can I just, can you reply to me with an answer about how your experience was? Or we can do a phone call if you don't feel comfortable putting something in writing. And there was a couple of distributors that we were pretty far along on where I got a response from 
directors enough to make you think where they were like fucking run and Mm. i was like whoa really you know and and you know and also you know i mentioned this a little bit before before we went on the pod that i'm older i have a family i had a full-time job i'm freelance now but i just wasn't the mark to make sort of a glitzy pitch to for like oh hey we're gonna you know do this and that and it's gonna make this and here are our projections and the projections are like insane you know yeah and i was like let's pump the brakes like tell me the terms like we're not gonna sign this like for 15 years like worldwide rights is ridiculous like you know it's like it's like you just have to just like really pin them down and then once they start realizing that like you're not the mark yeah (laughs) that they're not going to write off expenses for all their festival Mm -hmm. trips onto your film for the next 15 years you know you would see some of those people fall away some people had great decks that were like they you, you could tell somebody worked hard you know, taking whatever form deck that they usually do, I guess, and plugging in details about All Gone Wrong, and, like, mm-hmm. they had seen, and you could tell they had seen the movie, and they really knew how to, you know, there's, like, that term director bullshit, like, where a director cites all the references that they, you know, had going into making the movie. Well, they could, it's not hard when you watch All Gone Wrong to sort of tease out the director influences, so, like, they had their their distribution people who could talk director bullshit and, like, be like, oh, I loved like the Michael Mann aspect yeah. of it all and stuff, and and they're they're really just sort of they're trying to bring you into the fold. We signed with Buffalo Weight. We we knew that they had just a kind of a realistic plan. You know, it was like, what is the plan? And it and it was it was strategic. You know, one thing that I think is a big pitfall now. So you know, DVD used to be king, mm-hmm. but now the most readily available in income for independent films is is the ad based stuff. They yeah. call it fast or AVOD. The AVOD, yeah. The two B free V, that sort of thing. Some of these filmmakers were like, dude, they just dumped it on Tubi. And like and essentially, you know, if you're a distributor, they're gonna cap their expenses. They're gonna be able to get, you know, and, and whatever percentages you negotiate with them, if if they're them, they're like, okay, the, the the cash in hand is AVOD. Let's just put it right out there on, on that, get our cut, and then who gives a shit whether we said we signed for, you know, seven to ten years or whatever. Yeah. You would see these people just short-selling these movies. The filmmakers get nothing. There's mm-hmm. no windows. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no real effort to really put it out, to put on social ads. And, 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 you know, we were looking for somebody to, like, give us signs and give us evidence of what they were going to put in to make the movie a success. Can you talk about that a little bit? The game plan that you said, okay, these guys are talking my language. So, to be clear, you are happy with your distributor. Yeah, I am. I mean, and it's early days. I mean, it just came out in January. Okay. And, and so we've had a small sample size. There are aspects to the whole process that they could bring that I don't think I would have been able to bring. Like, if, if we had made All Gone Wrong... With just local talent, there's no Tony Todd. Mm. I probably would have self-distributed, Be, knowing what I know now. There, there's a version of All Gone Wrong that I make for 50k with all local talent, non-sag, and I self-release. And I try to get lucky with festivals, and you self-release, and you and you try to window it, and 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 you get a larger share of everything. It's a larger share of a smaller audience. Yeah. yeah. And so with our movie, it was of a size. It had Tony. It didn't end up getting picked up by any subscription services, but they pitched hard. to, And they had a plan. They were like, okay, we think it might appeal to this audience, and these are the platforms that really speak to that audience, and we're going to pitch them directly. And you saw them do it. Or you, yeah. You, they got proof yeah. that you did it, right? Yeah. They nailed up their end of the bargain. Yeah. 
And that's what we were looking for. Like, whereas yeah. other people were like, there were literally theatrical releases on the table. There was all this stuff. That is just more, more things on paper that you are going to say the movie's revenue has to hurdle yes. before we start getting any money. And sources say you're going to lose money. Well, theatrical to releases are expensive. Yeah. Theatrical releases are expensive. And, exactly. And it's an old nasty trick called cross-collateralization. Yeah. Where distributors have all these different revenue streams. Right. And if any one of those streams takes a loss, nothing pays out until that loss is made good. And so they can rig it so one of those losses right. will never make good. Right. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, guys, and this years ago, yeah, guys, uh, boy, uh, we got uh, 60,000 in sales and DVD. That's really great. But, boy, we're, we're in the red. We're like negative 10,000 on theatrical. So, yeah, until we make that up, you know, we're just, uh, you know, we're just really taking a beating here. And, and, and is that from South Dakota? <laughs> yeah. And so filmmakers. That's distributor yeah. guy, is it? That's, that's our yeah, distributor guy. So filmmakers just, uh, yeah. just get hosed. Yeah. It's all creative accounting. Yeah. And the other the other great scam is the distributors, their marketing company they go with is actually just a division of their company. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's like money yeah. Oh, we hands. reworked the poster. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. did this right. Well, yeah. we didn't ask you first of all. Second of yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, they give you some shitty key art <laughs> yeah. that they 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 oh, paid, man. you know, their their company, yeah. their their cousin to to redo. Yeah. And, I mean and, you know, there's there's gripes I have, and there's things that I definitely, like, you know, I see the seams of. We signed a, um, gosh, what's the term? You know, basically you have, like, a, a, a sales a, agent? Yeah, a sales agent, yeah. Okay. So we, so he's not a traditional sales agent, but he, he's a, he, he's a financier for a production company that had a first look agreement with, with a major indie studio. Like, the dream studio for mm. a movie like this. And... So we signed with him because he was close with someone from our team. It was such it was such a unanimous call to do this. He's like, I have a first look deal with this studio. This is exactly what they're looking for. It'll happen in two months. And luckily the deal was structured that like he only makes a cut of the sale price. So like we don't we're not paying him for anything. Sure. No, it's like a boy or something. Yeah. yeah, he just gets it if he gets paid. A fucking year goes by. And like no, no deal is made. And we gave him some extensions because, you know, we got these lines here or there, you know, like, oh, this is what's going on. And also this is all during COVID. So we wrapped in 2019 and like we got to cut the movie during 2020. But then like at the end of 2020, that's when we signed this deal. Ten months go by and it's like, dude, nothing's happening. We're going to. And so once we got out of that deal, it was like, OK, let's run. Uh, I got an email from Chris Clark. Hey, do you want to play at the. St. Louis International Film Festival is like fuck yeah, let's do our premiere. We had Buffalo Eight on the line at the point at that point, and I just asked them, I was like, hey, if we have our world premiere at this festival, does that bother you? And they're like, no, go for it, like use it for everything. It it it. Makes it for every, yeah, yeah. It I was like, hometown good. fest. It's a top hundred festival. Like I I love it. I was like, and I didn't want to wait to hear back from South by Southwest or whatever, mm. you know, or you know, and I think like just the way things are staggered, like. Did you do festivals? Did you submit? No, I mean we we submitted to like six or seven that were like, kind of the some of the, the blue chips. Okay. Yeah, it was like South by Southwest, but I just didn't want to wait to hear back and then start to have okay. these distribution con you know conversations again. We played at Sliff, and then signed with Buffalo Eight right after that, and then twenty twenty two delivered the movie, and then 
the release date was set at 2023. So, like, yeah, I wrote the first draft in 2008, so there's your 15 years. Wow. There you go. Wow. Summarized yeah. in less than an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> did uh, did yeah. you have any luck in any festivals outside of St. Louis? No, I, you know, like I said, I submitted to some of the biggest ones. You know, we weren't in the window to submit to Fantastic Fest, which I was kind of interested in seeing if that would happen. We submitted to Austin, Atlanta, South by. I submitted to Slam Dance, not Sundance. Right. And you limited it just yeah. to kind of see, yeah, if you yeah. got some traction there. We've been have... proudly rejected by all those festivals. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, like, it's not, it's not a reflection on the quality of the movie. No, like, no. Because festivals are just they're just they're unknowable like there's so many forces and pressures and, and yep. some are political some are artistic whatever mm. it is hey they said no who cares and it depends like, on what you're trying to do with your film and what you want it right yeah what i mean didn't hurt you to do six yeah right because you had other things working yeah right you weren't dependent on it yeah so i thought that was a wise move yeah, yeah. that's that's probably pretty key into what you thought at yeah. least and yeah. some of these festivals, I mean, they're big money sinks, you know. And you get, you know, yeah. something like South by Southwest, they get 2,000 films or whatever submitted, and yeah. they're going to show 15 features. Yeah. Like, what are you, I mean, your odds are pretty slim. Yeah. Even with the with the, with the the name actor. Now, you know, one thing I did, so in my time in L.A., and then also just with, you know, having been working for a while, I had some filmmaker friends that, that have made careers for themselves like pretty high up like kind of a-list careers and so i did reach out to them and 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 that and and i had been saving the the favor absolutely you know? yeah and it's like okay now i have a finished film looking for distribution and it's like hey i'm reaching out like what would you do what could you do mm-hmm. you know those types of things they're like hey if you have an and, and this is around the time when we had gotten the invitation from sliff we were, had some distribution conversations like do we wait for these other festivals to hear back all of these people were like hey even on this movie that's like their big you know notable thing they're like we tried to get into the midnight part of the Cannes film festival and our one of our producers was the best friend of the programmer of the midnight section of the Cannes Film Festival, and we still didn't get in. And bitch. these kinds of like, like they have their hands on the levers of power, whatever you want to call it. Like you the know, gatekeepers. They're, they're behind the curtain. They're mm. in the they're in the champagne room, and it still is not a guarantee. And that, so that shows how hard it is yeah, to get into these top tier festivals. Totally. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I was like, I was like, we're gonna. We're gonna make this Sliff premiere as fucking great as we can. We're getting we're like Barry, our main investor, and then also like the rest of our investor team, our producers were like, Let's get Tony here. Let's let's get him to the premiere. Let's just let's rent out Blueberry Hill and you know, let's just have a good time and celebrate. Cause like there's all of these things that making a movie is it sucks. But like when it's done and you're proud of it, like that's the only time you have to celebrate it, you know? And yeah. so we, we just decided to do that. So so that, that Sliff premiere was just incredible. We were filming during that, I believe. Were we? I believe so. Because somebody was talking about Tony Todd being back in town, and we just had Bill. Well, where did you uh, see getting, it, Greg? Getting ready to have Bill in for I saw the Filmmaker Showcase. Oh, Filmmaker Showcase, showcase. Yeah. okay. So they, so they rolled it over to that, and... Because uh, at that point I was like, yeah, we're, we're in delivery hell, so I would love to... Have so it out there again. Play at a festival again, <laughs> exactly. so I can take my mind off, fucking yeah, deliverables. But uh, which is another, in, you know, indie another suck. suck. Yeah, another deliverables suck. is. We'll be oh walking through all the process of that in our yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. Did you, did you get any of those taken care of while you were shooting any deliverables? 
Yeah, I mean, we we had heard, you know, going into production, I kind of knew about the deliverables process, but like some of the nuts and bolts technical stuff, like, oh, there, here's a dropped frame, here's like, here's this, here's that, and like, I mean, and like, and then and then you'll get it'll get kicked back to you, and then and then you fix it, and then and then the next time there's like Something things else. that there's other things that get kicked back. I like know? sag paperwork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now delivery delivery gives me nightmares, and yeah. I didn't have to deal with it nearly as much as like our editor Brett Hoy or you yeah. know, and but like I did I did handle as many of the paper deliverables as I could, you know, like you know releases and things right. like that. Yeah. Now, so did you get any feedback from Buffalo before you signed with them? Yeah, I mean... So is that one of the ones where you got some positive feedback? Yeah, I mean, Good. they... It's funny because they... Like, you could tell they weren't... I don't know. You, you just get a feeling about people where you know they're not trying to just, like... I don't know, give you a line. I don't know. That's w- you know? way like, important. Yeah. yeah. And especially, like, if a filmmaker reached back out to you and go, you know, I'm having a positive experience yeah. here. That's, yeah. Well, the, the rosier the projection to get from a distributor, the more likely they're full of shit. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I remember my first feature, which is a pile of shit, <laughs> and, and someone was telling me that they liked it better than Pulp Fiction. And even I, as green as I was, was like, you're fucking crazy, save man. It, save it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we definitely heard those, oh, we're going we're gonna to take it here, we're going to take it there, we're going to do theatrical. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't believe yeah. you. Yeah. Just having a healthy sense of, humility going into that those conversations is just it's just so mandatory no until <laughs> until you start talking their language or you can, yeah and then it's like hello hello exactly exactly <laughs> and like you know and i had heard a buddy had made a feature and he signed with a distributor and he had told me like it just becomes part of an all-you-can-eat movie buffet that they're selling at film markets they're just you know and those those don't count in your distribution agreement my whole thing is it's a numbers game for them yeah so therefore where are you at in three months because they just picked up another 30 movies every single month or 100 movies every month See, right that's a good point and they're signing they want you to sign for 5 10 15 years sometimes yeah i think within the first six months you're so buried yeah unless you have that breakout movie yeah and that was another thing about buffalo Wade is that at the time i think they're releasing more movies now but i think at the time when we signed, they weren't putting out that many movies. And so I was like, okay, there's going to be a team. Yeah, I didn't hear about them until yeah. you signed, and that's when yeah. I went and researched them. And, and So their parent company, Bondit, is big into film financing, mm-hmm. and then they own ABS Payroll, which is what we use for the film. Um, and then they and then Buffalo 8 is mostly known as a post-production services house. It's like a post house, but now is in film distribution. And they're, they're just operating on a great level for indie filmmakers kind of to touch that larger industry they they sort of like bridge that gap and very cool and they also have a lot of like sort of foreign sales relationships so that's another thing we're seeing too is they're starting to present some foreign sales agreements which is super fun so we got buffalo a tubi right that's where all going wrong could be found now it's on tubi plex i'm sorry plex i'm not a regular viewer of plex (laughs) but it's on plex and then now it's the free with ads on voodoo free with ads on voodoo yeah Okay. Yeah. When it's in the transaction window, when you can rent and buy it, Prime is, it's mm. that's like ninety five percent of all the transactions, you know. And you can really rep Apple TV Plus and all these other things, but like, really, most people are consuming stuff on Prime. And then now, I think on the 
the Avon window or the fast window, they call it, free ad supported. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you got that rolling. So I read, are you still working on another project about St. Louis and that yeah. other thing? Yeah. it's. I got to yeah. remember that. <laughs> so it's one of the reasons why I went freelance. I was working at VidZoo and I decided the movie was going to come out in January. And I had this true crime project that I've been wanting to write forever. And I knew it was going to take a lot out of me. It was going to take a lot of research and a lot of writing. And so I was like, okay, well, now's kind of the time. Like, you know, let's take the time off. And so it's been, it was, I, I just finished the first draft of all six episodes like last month. Oh, it's episodic? Yeah, oh. because it, it's just kind of too big. And, and, and I, it truly is too big. It's the core central event is there was a, a woman who hijacked a helicopter in 1978 and uh, to free three inmates at Marion Penitentiary. And at that, that time, it was the only supermax prison in the United States. And before that... That method had been tried before and had never not worked. So, like, to f fly into the prison yard of a supermax prison and fly people out had yeah, worked. I think she hijacked the wrong guy. And, and actually, before <laughs> that, they, they made a movie about a true story about a, a U.S. businessman who was in a Mexican prison, and he escaped via helicopter that way, and they made it into a movie called Breakout with Charles Bronson and Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall is, like, the businessman, and mm. Bronson is, like, the helicopter pilot they hire. Um, Isn't that how Lex Luthor broke out in Superman? All successful. And so those so that's the core thing. And then once I started digging into who the prisoners were, I was like, well, who are the guys that she was trying to break out? That led me down a crazy rabbit hole. And they're they're all just career criminals and plane hijackers, con men. One of them had a best selling book written about him in nineteen seventy six called The Fox is Crazy Two, written by Elliot Azanoff, who had wrote Eight Men Out. So he was already a nationally known figure. And they invented the K unit in Marion, the solitary unit, for him because he was, he was just so you know, Bad. yeah. Yeah, I think that helicopter pilot just died a few years ago, so that all came back out again. That's where I got interested in the story. Yeah. So well, yeah. I mean, every year there's there's anniversaries of these things. Like May twenty fourth was when the the helicopter hijacking yeah. happened, but the pilot was Alan Barklage. Alan Barklage, yeah. Died in the late nineties. Um, oh, late nineties. Okay, I yeah. thought it was a few years ago. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's he, a few years ago. Yeah. To yeah. me, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, he was a beloved figure after the like that. That was when he was Alan a chartered helicopter pilot. But after after that hijacking, he actually kind of flipped it into a a TV and radio career, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing traffic reports and stuff. But it's just a fascinating story. Like, the more I look into details, the more, like, it just all feeds into the same theme. And How far along are you on that? So I wrote six episodes, so it's about it's about a 300-page script, about 270. Is that your genre of choice, then, crime? Well, I, I enjoy it because, to me, a lot of the filmmakers I adore, some of their first movies were crime, or they continue to work in crime. And I think what it does is... You know, who, who are some of the filmmakers? So Michael, Ma I mean, like, like somebody like Wes Anderson can make a crime movie as for his first film, and so can Scorsese, or mm -hmm. you know, and it's like it's a genre that holds a lot. It's got it's got a strong back, and yeah. and and it's like how you want to like what do you want to say about the world? You can do it in the crime genre very easily, and so that's I, I, it's malleability. I think is very great, and then all the subgenres are are just great too. And so what I like about this story is that it, it has four or five subgenres. It, it's a prison movie. It's a it's an escape movie. It's a heist movie. It's like a hijacking movie. It's like it's it's period. It's like from the nineteen seventies. And so I just I was like fuck. I was like, you know, catch me if you can, one flew of the cuckoo's nest, like mm -hmm. all of these kinds of comps that are just like, man, 
this is a true story that holds all of these ideas and I can kind of play in the sandbox of stuff that you just like. And it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in college, like Jean-Pierre Melville was a big influence because I just, the samurai is great and it's very cool and it, and it sort of established a tone and it influenced a lot of people, you know, like John Woo and stuff like that. But like some of his more, I mean, he, he just has this great, it, it shows people who want to be excellent at their work. This is very It's a very Michael Mann thing. They, they have almost parallel careers in so many ways. Like They want to be excellent at what they do, but it alienates them from having any real connection in their lives. But it, it is their identity. It is who they are, like who, what they do. And yeah. so uh, you, you, you feel like it is, it is their freedom, but it is their prison at the same time. Hmm. And, and, and how it, just the psychology of that is very interesting to me. And so um, just seeing... You know, the Circle Rouge and Army of Shadows and all these kinds of films were it was, a, it was just awesome, you know. That's cool. <laughs> so all gone wrong is what we need to see. Yes. All gone wrong. So Josh, I, I wanna say as we close here a little bit, man, I appreciate you holding on to that fifteen years. No, <laughs> seriously, because we talk a lot about going if, if it's not right, don't put it out. Yeah. And we're going through one now that's dragging on a little bit and it's but it's not right. Yeah. And it's not ready to be put out. And we've put out stuff that because we were worried about getting into the festival. We were worried about doing stuff like that. So yeah. I think it's important for people to understand is you had the passion and you weren't going to do it until it was your vision, right? It may not be perfect yeah. in your eyes, and I'm sure you see things, but it, it was what you wanted it to be exactly. Yeah. And now it's out there on, like you said, on Tubi, Plex. Yeah. One more you said, I thought. Yeah, Voodoo. <laughs> voodoo. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's got to be really exciting. So I appreciate that, and I think our audience tonight is going to learn a lot about cool. you well, and everything else. A lot of filmmakers make the mistake of, of putting something out too fast. Yeah. And and like I said, I saw your movie. I was blown away by so many aspects of it. And I, I remember raving to my girlfriend, like, this is a guy who did it right. And, and yeah. I, I really, honestly, heartfelt yeah. mean that. I mean, you yeah. really did. You took the time. You had the vision. You saw it through. You didn't compromise. And yeah, it took longer than you wanted. Yeah. But you have an excellent film as a result. Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a concept that I always wrestle with, which is you have to be passionate about this work, but you can't be precious. And, like, those are always at odds. And so, like, iteration is absolutely mandatory. And so I, I understand why people just want to, like, create something, put it out, get reps and all that. And, and it's it's easier than ever with just how just cheap the tools are yeah. and, and how you can just upload something. But, like, the art is great, but, like, you are a craftsperson, like you're a carpenter making the best table you can possibly make. And if it's not a good table, like you're not going to, why would you want to give it to somebody, you know? Yeah, the so, glass is going to slide off and break. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like care about the craft so much so that that, you know, that can really help you get through some, some trickier times, you know, yeah. No, that's cool. We can't thank you enough. So we've talked about a lot tonight, Chris. We have talked about a lot. <laughs> really? What we're else? Gonna, we well, we're going to talk about what we always talk about. That's it. That would be the highs, the lows, and the in-betweens of true independent filmmaking on the independent on the Indie Film Sucks podcast. Uh, brought to you by 88mm Productions. Yeah, if you see the movie, uh, leave us some feedback. We'll uh, tag Josh in our posts. And, man, appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Cool. Yeah, yeah, thanks yeah, for thank coming you. on. Yep. Awesome. Peace. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> indie film sucks. Indie film sucks. It's the indie film sucks. Hi.